0: Lord willing, we'll finish our time here in the 10th chapter of John's Gospel. Such a critical uh, passage. If you remember, uh, Jesus had healed a man in Jerusalem, and he did it on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders took offense to that, not only because he had done something that they could never do, and that is to heal a man, but also that he did it on the Sabbath, which broke their law, in a sense. And the Lord was always questioning them and kind of putting them in the corner and saying, Is it good to do good on the Sabbath? Is it good to do good things on the Sabbath? And he made the comparison that if one of your cattle or one of your livestock fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't you get three or four men to come and and get that animal out of the ditch? And the answer is, of course, you would do that. And how much more important is it that a son of Abraham that this man was, how important was it that he would be healed on the Sabbath? And right on the heels of that rebuke to them, Jesus goes right into chapter 10. He doesn't stop. There's a chapter division there, but that is for us. The translators put that in there for us to be able to to find scriptures and to find passages. But in the original, it just continued on. And so, you know, the very last thing he said, you know, in the previous verse or chapter, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Speaking to the Pharisees, and then Jesus would go along and tell them that he is the door, that he is the door of the sheep, that he is the good shepherd. In fact, this morning, we're going to pick up in verse 11, because we've spent already two weeks on this, and I don't know about you, but again, I found this, I feel like I've been stuck in this chapter, and I think the reason was, and I just kind of figured this out this week, is I needed it. I needed to hear that Jesus is the good shepherd. Have you felt that way with everything that's going on in the world? I mean, if you're, if you're in tune and alive and breathing, you know the things that are happening in our world, right? And so it's very concerning, and it's very confusing. There's a great deception all around us right now. But here's the thing. I needed to hear this. I, I felt like I was the first partaker of these messages myself because I needed to remember that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. That he knows what's happening. I don't really know the the, the minutiae of the things that are going to happen in the next few days and the next week. We know the big picture. And aren't you glad that you know the big picture? Haven't we been going through the big picture? Remember last, uh, it was the beginning of this year, we had finished uh, Revelation. And we went through Revelation during that dark time called COVID. When they wanted to shut us down. And as we look through that, wasn't that encouraging to you and me? to see that God had a plan. In fact, he he told us way in advance. And isn't that what a good shepherd does? He doesn't just allow his sheep to go out in the field and say, well, whatever happens, happens, see ya. No, he goes out before them. He goes out before the sheep and he prepares the way. He tells in advance. And that's what he did. That's what he does. See, that's why the word of God is so wonderful to us, because it, it shows us not only the, the past, but also the future, what's coming, the big picture, if you will. And I want to encourage you to rest in that, regardless of what we go through on a, on a micro level, God's got the macro as well, you follow? So be encouraged, he is the good shepherd. And I think this morning and these last couple of weeks, I think he just wants to ground us in this. He wants to ground me in it, probably me more than anybody else. Because I find myself so distraught by what I see and the things that are going on I just racked me inside. Do you feel that way? I do. I just feel unsettled. I'm angry, honestly. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> I've been angry. My wife can attest to that. But I, I can't be that way. I can't stay there for long. I don't want to stay there for long. Because I know that God has a plan. And see, I know these things. And you know these things. But isn't it true that while you're going through it, it's never easy. It's never easy to go through these things that we're going through. The process is painful. I know that the process was coming. It's been foretold for over several thousand years. And especially since the church age began in the the first century. were, We're 2,000 years into this. And it's coming to an end. Are you aware of that? It is. It's coming to an end, just as the Bible tells us. Things that couldn't have happened, but now all of a sudden are in alignment. Things that we never could have thought possible are happening before our eyes. And you either can ignore that and say, well, that's just coincidence. And you can do that if you'd like. But let me suggest to you, and you know this, the Bible has been accurate from the very beginning. Foretelling when Jesus would come, think of it. Thousands of years before Jesus would be incarnate in human flesh. God of Almighty incarnate in human flesh. And then finally he shows, fulfilling all the prophecies of the many of them in the Old Testament. And the probability of that is incredible. It's it's mind-boggling, the probability of one person doing that. He did it. And now he's telling us of things yet to come. And is he going to lie to us? Is he going to say... And then when we start seeing those things come to pass, it ought to spur everyone in this room and everyone who's in earshot of this. It should spur us. It should get us up off our feet and say, oh my goodness, this is really happening. And if you're not at that place right now, you need to wake up. Wake up. You need to wake up. The Lord is returning. He's coming soon. I don't know the day or the hour but he, when he says these signs are going to happen before my coming, believe me, if the signs before his second coming are already starting to form in alignment, believe me, they are. I, I've looked at it, and I'm, I'm boggled by it. I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really... I didn't know this would happen on my watch, but I believe it's going to happen on my watch, on your watch. Don't know when. But that's why I believe this passage is so precious to us. So let's pick up in verse Verse 11. And then we're going to get into it. And we'll take communion today. And hopefully we'll finish this chapter. I'm really hoping to, but I have a tendency to be verbose. And I get stuck and then we have to start over. So um, we won't start over, I promise. But notice in verse 11, Jesus said to these Pharisees and the scribes, notice. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And notice, the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And the hireling flees too because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. And again, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. Aren't you glad you're owned by him? By right of creation and by right of birth, we belong to him. He created us and now that he's got his spirit indwelling us, he owns me. He owns you if you're a Christian. Aren't you glad that you're owned by someone who's really benevolent rather than somebody who is mean and nasty? so glad I'm owned by him. And the Father knows me, verse 15. Even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and notice, and they will hear my voice. That's you and I, Gentiles. And there will be one flock and one shepherd, the church of Jesus Christ. And the one shepherd is, is Jesus. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my father. Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And the obvious answer is no. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you make us, uh, keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but do but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. How, does that, how do you feel about that for um, security? No one can snatch you out of his hand. No one. In heaven above or in earth beneath, there's no one that can take you out of Jesus' hand once you are his. Because if you're in his hand, you're in the Father's hand. No one can take you out. That's very, does the Bible speak of the assurance of salvation? Yes, it does. And to me, that's the great joy of Christianity, is to know that I'm saved. I'm heaven-bound, not because of any good work, but because of what he's done. And so as a result of that, I can rest and not try to earn my favor with God because I've already earned it, because I'm in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, then God sees me in Christ. He doesn't look at Rob. He looks at me and he sees the blood of his son covering me, and that's all he looks for. And all, everything in between now is just me and you being transformed and being sanctified moment by moment, right? And that's exciting to me. Turn with me to Psalm 23 because we're going to look at what a good shepherd does. What does a good shepherd do? Open to Psalm 23 if you would, please. Psalm 23. This is a great uh, verse, great chapter. And it fits perfectly with what we're talking about today. As you know, it was a psalm of David. And notice what David said in verse 1. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The idea is, I shall not fail, I shall not decrease, I shall not be without, I shall not be in need. Now, all of us have been in need at one point, but not for very long. And Jesus will always provide for us. It may not be the, the exact on time when we want it. He may stretch us a little bit, but he's always given us, is there anybody here that's gone without food, water, and shelter? Because that's what he promised us in Matthew 5, Matthew 6. Has anybody, any of us gone, gone without for very long? Maybe not at all. He may not have given us the, the fancy house or the fancy car, but he's provided for the things that are necessary and he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And guess what? All these things will be added to us. He'll make sure we're provided for and we'll have these things. But seek first his kingdom. Do the thing that's on his heart. Do the thing that he's called you to do. But notice, I shall not want. And, and, and that's what he said. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And I love this. Uh, there's a, a picture that I just find amazing. Amazing. It was painted on charcoal. It's a charcoal print by Catherine Brown, and she was inspired by Isaiah 40 when she wrote this. And and Isaiah 40 says this, Behold, the Lord shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those who are with young. Doesn't that just paint the picture for you? Of the love of God, of being cared for, of knowing that he's taking care of you? That to me is the thing that I need right now. I don't know how you feel, but I, I need to remember this. That this is the Lord's care for us. This is his heart toward us. But what does the Bible also say? Look at Psalm uh, twenty-three, and verse two and three. Notice he makes me a, a good pasture, or a good uh, uh, shepherd is going to bring us in good pastures that have been inspected ahead of time. He makes me to lie down in green pastures beside the still waters. The Lord is faithful to bring us to those places where there is peace, where there is tranquility, where there is a uh, uh, just a letting go of just trusting in Him. I don't know when I when I read that verse, you know green pastures and still waters and, and just quiet. All you can hear is the slight ripple of the water. It, it really does, it brings you to a place of settledness. And I believe, again, that's where the Lord wants us today. To be settled in spite of the chaos. You can rest in Christ. And he goes to the field before he sends his sheep into the field. He goes ahead of time. He goes before them, and he pulls out the poisonous weeds and the plants and anything that the sheep would eat. because listen, sheep will eat anything. Literally, they'll eat anything. You can put garbage on the ground, and if that's all that's there, they'll eat it. But Jesus goes before him. He makes sure there's nothing poisonous. Make sure it's green pasture that the sheep have plenty to eat. And he does that for us, too. He makes sure He takes care of us. He leads us beside the still waters. And do you know that even now, Jesus went before us and is now preparing a place for us? Remember what we read earlier. He laid down His life for the sheep, and now He's gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us. What does it say in John chapter 14? Jesus said before He ascended into heaven, He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. The shepherd bringing his sheep unto him. Going ahead of us, preparing the place and finally bringing us. Are you looking forward to that day when you hear the trump sound and the dead in Christ will rise? And then we which are alive and remain, our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And we'll be caught up together to meet him in the air. And so we will be with him forever. Comfort one another, Paul tells the Thessalonians. Comfort one another with these words. That's a great comfort for me because I'm ready. Are you ready? Seriously, are you ready? If Jesus was to come back today, would you be ready? Are you putting off the the stuff that you know is wrong? Are you really seeking his face? Because listen, church, this is the time we ought to be praying more than we've ever prayed in our lifetime. The times that we live in are desperate. Pray, pray, and, 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 and get your heart right before God. Get your heart right. And what is also a good shepherd does? He watches for us. He, he He watches for enemies that are trying to attack the sheep. I love what it says in verse 4 of our psalm there. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And a good shepherd is, is one who is concerned about the dangers in the culture. And we know that we are all like sheep. When Jesus is talking about his sheep, he's talking about his people. And you and I are his people. And a good shepherd does that. He warns of things in the culture he warns of the things of, of different teachers, of books and movies and music and false doctrine. Why? Because he loves. And those things are bad. He wants the very best for, him, for you. And he, a good shepherd also defends us from predators. He has, remember in Psalm verse 4, it says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod will be used to beat Lord, off predators. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you remember the dialogue that, Je- or, I'm sorry, that David had with Saul? In 1 Samuel 17, it says, David said to Saul, your servant, and this is when he's about ready to face off with Goliath. Nobody would do it, but David, this young teenage shepherd boy, was willing to go out and fight this seasoned veteran who was over nine feet tall, a seasoned warrior, and all the Israelites, including Saul, who was taller than anybody in Israel, he decided, you know, we're not going to go against this guy. And David, this young guy... He says, I'll do it. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? He had a whole different heart about him. But David said to Saul before he went out, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, and I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Notice the confidence in God. Not in his own, not in his own uh, things. It just kicked me off the network. Okay. Let's see if we can try that again. He said that the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And, and that's what a shepherd would do too. He would, you can turn that off. Um, that's what a, a shepherd would do as well. He would go before and he would take care and protect his sheep. Isn't that what Jesus did? Do you recall right before Jesus was taken in the Garden of Gethsemane. It tells us this in John chapter 18. Jesus, as the guards and them were coming to arrest him, he said, he said to them, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Let these disciples of mine, let them go. Take me, That you're, I'm the one that you want. Take me. And that's what a shepherd does. It's what a good shepherd does. He delivers his flock. And he also protects them from danger. I said that. Your rod and your staff. He would use that rod to, to hit animals that were animals of prey that are coming. He would use the staff. He would use that long hook to, to reach down. And if, a, if an animal or a, a, a sheep was on the edge of a cliff. He would just reach around like that. And he would grab it around its front neck and its front part of its body and, and bring it to safety. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So glad that the Lord comforts us. So glad that he fights for us. And he also comforts us. He fights for us more than we could possibly know. You know, in, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, that Speaking of angels, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Do you know you have guardian angels? You do. The Bible tells us that. There are angels that look out for you, for those who are heirs of salvation. Either heirs or already a child of God. You have angels looking out for you. That's their job. And a good shepherd heals wounded and sick sheep. Do you have any idea how, how hard it is to, to tend for sheep? I mean, they're so diseased. Uh, so they so easily catch diseases. In their eyes, they got bugs. I mean, a shepherd always has to inspect the sheep to make sure that there's not parasites growing in its body, ticks and all kinds of worms and all these other things. The water they drink, he's got to look at all these things. He's got to take care of them. It's a very difficult process for a really good shepherd. And I've never tended sheep before, uh, animals anyway. But it's, it's a hard business. It takes a lot of attention. And the Lord knows us so well. We are his sheep. And, and not a hair of our head falls without him knowing about it. Does that comfort you? Does that comfort you when you go to the doctor and they tell you, You've got, a, you've got cancer, and I'm sorry, but there's really, it's stage four, and it's all over the place. There's nothing we can do. do you, is he still your shepherd? Is he still the one who will care for you? The answer is yes. He has and he does, and he will, he will continue. And he also goes after lost sheep. This is one of the things that's most, en- most endearing of the Lord. Remember in Luke chapter 15, it says, All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spoke to them this parable, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not have, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home... He calls his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. He goes after. Did the Lord come after you? If you're here this morning, he did. He came after you. He came after me in my lost estate. <laughs> you know, it seems like so long ago, if, if, you, if you can relate with me, do you remember when you first got saved and the mess that your life was? And how everything that you did just seemed to be going from bad to worse? And somehow the Lord broke through all of that and, and brought you into his kingdom? When you were at your wits' end, you were struggling with many things. I love that about the Lord. That he leaves the 99 with, a, with an attendant, and he, he goes after that one sheep. Remember that little video that we showed a couple weeks ago of that shepherd going out in the desert looking for that lost sheep? It was going to be certainly dead within a, a, a very short time, certainly from predators, if not for that, without anything to eat. Look, looking around, and the shepherd goes out. And I love, the shepherd knows his sheep by name, and he has a unique sound. He, remember that? Remember that guy had that funny sound? And, and then the sheep kind of looked, and its ears perked up. And the sheep knew his voice. I was so willing to go with the shepherd. Turn with me to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, this is an interesting chapter. It's concerning false shepherds and the true shepherd. And the reason I bring this up is because Jesus, right now, in this chapter, he's bringing a juxtaposition between good shepherds and the shepherds of Israel, the scribes and the Pharisees, who were false shepherds. They weren't good shepherds at all. And in fact, back in Ezekiel Uh, The the religious leaders in Israel, before the nation of Israel was taken into captivity, there were also bad shepherds at that time, and the Lord warned them of this. He warned the leaders, those who were supposed to be good shepherds, to tend to God's flock. And instead, they were ingratiating themselves, making themselves fat, and making themselves rich, rather than caring for God's heritage. Notice what it says in Ezekiel 34, verse 1. It says, "...the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel." Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have strengthened, you have not strengthened, excuse me, nor have you healed those who were sick nor bound up the broken, nor brought back that which was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they, where they were scattered. And my sheep wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, says the Lord. Surely, because my flock became a prey... And my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherd search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, and here comes the hammer, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep. And the shepherd will feed themselves no more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food for them. And this is exactly what the religious leaders had become. They had become fat. They had become self-focused, self-centered. It was all about them. It had nothing to do with the people anymore. And they they ceased to be shepherds. They were false shepherds. They were the blind leading the blind. And both would fall into a ditch, Jesus would say. But it goes on here, and I love the rest of this chapter. And we're going to read it because it not only speaks to this, but it also gives us prophetic utterance about what's coming in the future concerning God's people and the church of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep, and I'll seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all places where they have been scattered on a cloud and dark day. And notice, here it is. Here's a prophecy that's already been fulfilled, at least partially. And I will bring them out of the peoples and gather them out of the countries and will bring them to their own lands. When did that happen? May 14th, 1948. All the Jews all over the world came and they, they, Israel became a nation once again. David Ben-Gurion brought everything into session and, and they became a nation once again. And it partially fulfilled this scripture that, we, that we're reading right now that was, what was that? Nearly 27, at least 2,500 years prior, God told them that he would bring his sheep, Israel, back into the land. And notice, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in the inhabited places of the country. Verse 14, I will feed them in good pasture and their folds should be on high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. And Israel, in part, is doing that now. They've come into their land. It's very fruitful. If you get to go to Israel with us next year, next March, come with us, let us know if you want to go. But we visit all these places, and it is very rich. It's beautiful to look at. Yes, there's rocky areas, but the rest of it, let me tell you, is blooming with fruit and flowers and every kind of thing you could think of. It's being... Reproduce just as God had spoken in his word in Ezekiel. "'I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. I'll bind up the broken and I'll strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord, behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. Is it too little for you to have eaten the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture?' And to have drunk of the clear waters, that you must foul the residue with your feet. And as for my flock, they may eat. They eat what you have trampled with your feet, and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you have pushed with side and shoulder. You've butted all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them abroad. And this is exactly what has happened in the past in Israel, back at that time, about 600 B.C., Therefore I will save my flock, and there shall be no longer a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And here it is, verse 23. This, this shoots us all the way into the future, into the millennial reign of Christ, where God will be faithful to his people, Israel, and also us, the church, made up of Jew and Gentile. Notice what he says. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. notice, my servant David. Yes, David, the one we've been talking about on Thursday night. The one who committed adultery and murder, yes, he's in glory right now. And God, when, when, in the millennial reign of Christ, he's gonna set, he's gonna, when he resurrects David, he is going to serve the Lord in the millennial reign of Christ. Notice, my servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And why do I say that? Because when Ezekiel wrote this, it was 300 years after David had already passed from the scene when this was written. He's prophesying of what's yet to come. Notice verse 25. I'll make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land and they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. This speaks of the millennial reign when everything will be restored. I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing and will cause showers to come down in their season. There shall be showers of blessing and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield her increase. There shall be... Sa- they shall be safe in the land, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. And they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and no one shall make them afraid. I will raise up for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles any more. Thus they shall know that I, the Lord their God, am with them. And they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord. What an awesome chapter. What a great hope. Not only Israel has, but also for us. The church, we will be in the millennial reign as well. But look with me back in our text this morning in verse 12 in John. But notice what Jesus says. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep... He sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. A hireling doesn't care about the sheep. There's no vested interest in them. He could care less. He's just getting paid. It's just a paycheck. But let me suggest to you that no one cares for you like Jesus. And again, I I am so encouraged by this. Again, maybe I need this more than all of you, but as I'm just heartbroken over the things that are going on, I need to remember again that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's my shepherd and he's yours. He's going to take care of us folks. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. He's got it covered. He knows what he's doing and everything is right on time. It's discouraging, it's disheartening, it's hard to go through, but do you know that it's happening and god says don't you worry flock i got it covered i'm going to take care of you through the midst of this i'm going to carry you through this and you're going to be just fine it doesn't mean that there won't be some hard times but i'm going to carry you through this and on the other end i'm going to bring you to glory and you'll never see the wrath that god is going to pour out on this earth the wrath is coming The Bible tells us the great tribulation, it's coming, and it's going to be poured out on a world that has rejected Christ. You and I, the church, will be raised before that happens, and there will be a seven-year period we've looked at in great detail. He's going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, and they will be worthy of it. They'll be worthy of it. The angels said so in Revelation They are worthy, O Lord, to receive all of your judgments. They are worthy and they will be worthy. Do you think that pleases the heart of God? Do you think that God is, he doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. He doesn't delight in the things, but he will not strive with man forever. He's going to give them an opportunity. And thank God we've all accepted the the opportunity and the great gift of salvation through faith in Christ. Thank God we have. And there are others, and I I don't get it, I don't get it. How they can just shake their fists and say, "Not me. I'm going to do my own thing. I did it my way." I mean, really? You going to do it your way? Where's your way going to lead you? It's going to lead you right to hell. That's the truth. My way was hell. I thought. It, well, I thought I was a decent person before I got saved. And the Lord goes, mm, "Try again." I'm not. There's none good. No, not one. That's why we need Jesus Christ. Have you received Christ today? If you haven't received Jesus, you must do it today. Receive Christ today. Don't put it off to tomorrow. You don't have that opportunity. You may not have that opportunity. But Jesus doesn't just care for your soul. He cares for your your body as well. And I love what it says in Romans What then shall shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's going to give us all things. All things are yours, he tells us. Ultimately, all things are going to be yours. You're going to inherit everything. Blessed are the meek for what? They shall inherit what? The earth. You're going to inherit so much more than the earth. the hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care for the sheep. In verse 14, Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd." This is the last time he says it. "And I know my sheep, and I am known by, and I am known by my own." <laughs> I find that interesting. He knows us. The problem is with me. I want I need to know him. He knows me very well. But my great joy in this life is to get to know him. He already knows everything about me, but now I get to know him. And he knows us perfectly. What did he tell Jeremiah at the very beginning of his ministry? He says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before you were formed in the womb. Before you were formed. Before you were conceived, I knew you and I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That's a good message for the radical humanists in some capital cities in our country. I love what Texas did with their, uh, um, their heartbeat bill. That it was, they, they banned abortions as soon as the heartbeat, the fetal heartbeat started. And that's a good start. Praise God for them. I love Texas. I do. You know what I'd love to do? I mean, I wouldn't want to leave New York because I wouldn't want to leave all of you, but you know, can't we just transplant and go move to Texas? Just get a U-Haul thing and just lift this whole building up and transport it somewhere else. Get some helicopters and just take it away. But I love Texas because they have guts. You know, the governor of that state, I'm just like, "Man, I just want to write I just want to write that guy a check and say, "Take you and your wife out for dinner." A good steak dinner, too. You know, the steak in Texas is the best. I've been there because I know. Yes, God knows who those, whose of those are his even before conception. In Psalm 139, David says, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You, have, you, you know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Does God know you? He does. He knows you. He knows the very thoughts. He says, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, Lord, you know it altogether. Before I even speak the word, before I even think the thought, Lord, if you really wanted to tell me what I was going to think in the next 30 minutes, you could tell me right to the microsecond what I'd be thinking about. It probably would be lunch. <laughs> but notice this. Verse 13 of Psalm 139, You formed my inward parts, and you covered me in my mother's womb. Oh, Really? So he not only knew, knew you before you were conceived, but while you were being formed in the womb, he's very much intact. He's very much interested. He's very much in control of everything that's going on there, overseeing the whole process. Does that encourage you? I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. Notice my frame or my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Does God care about those babies? Yes, he does. I'm so glad for Texas for the heartbeat bill, but they need to back it up even further than that. The moment of conception—that's all we can see. God can see before conception, but at the very least, let's start right at the moment there's con- there's conception, and don't mess with that. Don't ever mess with that. He says, "I am the good shepherd." <laughs> Notice that the sheep belong to the shepherd, and they know his voice, they know his character, they know his love. Do you? Have you experienced the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness, the, you know, the compassion of God? Do you know his voice? Are you learning to know his voice? Do you want to know his voice? I do. I want to know his voice. And every, every time that I hear that still, small voice speaking to me, I want to obey that voice. And notice in verse 16, Jesus says, "...and other sheep I have which are not of, the, of this fold." Them I must also bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. This fold that Jesus is speaking of is the believers in Israel, the Jewish believers. But then he says, there's another flock that I must also bring. That's you and I, the Gentiles. We were grafted in. We are the wild branch, and Israel is the native olive branch, and we're grafted in. And how much more is God going to bless them if... If through their fall, the Gentiles have come to salvation, we've come to know this Jesus, it's going to be awesome. And the Lord is in control of it all. In Ephesians it says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and as they'd say in Texas, and in y'all. He's in y'all. If you're one of his, he's in y'all. I grew up in Florida, I can say that. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Jesus said, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. And this command I have received from my father. Notice that Jesus was in complete control. He was not a victim of circumstance. He was not even a martyr. He willingly laid down his life. A martyr is someone whose life is taken from them for whatever cause it is that they have. But Jesus is not a martyr. He willingly laid down his life. He was in complete control. And in fact, for this reason, he came into the world. What did he say in, in John chapter 6, verse 38? He says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, Jesus said, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing. That speaks of you and I, sheep. Love that. I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus, in another, in, in, a, in John chapter 12, he said this, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But it's for this purpose I came. I came to this hour for this purpose he laid his life down willingly nobody took it from him he set his face like flint to be to be to be baptized in the death that he would be baptized with he goes i have a baptism to be bas- baptized with and how distressed i am until it is accomplished do you, do you, can you sense in that in that sentence just a, it, it, he was he was like in labor until it was finally accomplished that's why in the garden he He sweat as it were great drops of blood as the intensity of the pressure, the spiritual intensity that was all about him was happening to him and the agony of it. And he's just like, I just can't wait to get this, to fulfill this. That's why he didn't run from it. He went boldly into death for us. Think of it. He boldly went to the cross. Even Pilate marveled. When Jesus didn't speak to him, finally he just said, Behold the man. And I don't think he was just saying, Behold the man. I think he was saying, Behold the man. No one is like that. I've never seen anything like this. But as a politician does, I wash my hands of this weirdness. And he allows it. And then on the cross, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Does this sound like somebody who is... Out of control. Does this sound like somebody who is a martyr? No, this sounds like someone who has got everything in control. And how maddening that must have been for the enemies of Christ as they they heard him saying these things. And finally he said, It's finished. What do you mean it's finished? We can keep you on the cross for days if we want to. No, my purpose here is accomplished. See ya. (laughs) He dismissed his spirit. He alone. Love that. Man, that just gets you, doesn't it? Every guy, I mean, never mind. (laughs) That's just so male. I'm just so thankful for that. God, he's just such a, uh, he's coming back with a sword, you know. The sword of the spirit of of his mouth. (laughs) Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these things. And many of them said, he has a demon, and why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of a man who has a demon. Can a a demon open... The, the eyes of a blind? And the answer, obviously, is no. Demons can't do anything. They're, they're bent on destruction. That's all they can do is destroy. Now, if you look at uh, verse 21 here and, uh, and verse 22, there's a, a, a time period between these two verses that you need to be aware of. You might even want to put in, your, in the margin of your Bible between verse 21 and 22. It's a period of about two months. Literally, from October... Of, uh, which was the Feast of Tabernacles, which we heard about in John 7. And now, in the beginning of verse 22, it talks about the Feast of Dedication, which is in December. So that's a roughly two-month period of time between verse 21 and 22. And by the way, in between those two verses are about 20 different events that are recorded in the Bible, things that Jesus did between these two verses. If you were to do a harmony of the Gospels, you would see that. But notice what it says in verse 22. Now, it was a feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. The feast of dedication is what the Jews would call Hanukkah. It's the feast of lights. It was a commemoration of rededicating the temple by Judas Maccabees in 165 B.C. after it was desecrated three years prior to that by Antiochus Epiphanes. And they rededicate the temple, and they call it the Feast of Lights. We know it as Hanukkah. The Jews call it Hanukkah, or the Feast of Dedication. And notice verse 23, Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and the Jews surrounded him and said, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus said, I already told you, and you you do not believe. So he's affirming, yes, I am the Christ. Can you see that? Uh, Somebody may say, well, he never said I was God. Well, right there he did. He's been telling them all along. They've been not willing to hear. In fact, that's what the whole Gospel of John is about. That, these, that you may know that the things that you see and hear, you know, the, these things that are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life in his name, life through his name. That's what it's all about. He's been telling them, and they have been not listening. But Philippians, it tells us, Paul writing to them says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, a doulos, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as man, notice he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even even the death of the cross. Therefore, as a result of his sacrifice, God, his Father, has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes. He is God. He's equal with God. We spent a lot of time on that in the first chapter of John, establishing that. That's what makes... Christianity different from any other world religion. Only God came to earth, the creator of all things. He came to earth, manifests himself in mankind, in 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 the form of a man, and then died for the sin that we deserve. That's what makes us different from everybody else. And guess what? Everyone is welcome to come to the cross. Every single human being. You've made that choice. May others do as well. But notice, he says, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. He's saying this to the religious leaders, the proud Jews who had spent much time in the word of God and claimed to be the leaders and the the men who knew what was going on. And, And yet Jesus says, you are not of my sheep. I don't even know who you are. If there's anything that drives somebody crazy is when they work really hard at something for their own benefit, trying to work their way into the kingdom of God and only to get there and 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 God say, I I never knew you. How'd you climb up some other way? You climb you tried to climb up some other way into the into the pen, but I don't know you, and sorry, you're not admitted. Those are those who seek everything but Christ, the Buddhists. The Muslims, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, they all need Christ. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. Listen for that still small voice because God's voice will never lead you into sin and compromise and he won't force you to do anything, remember that. And God's will will never lead you where the grace and provision of God cannot sustain you. Remember that too. And the voice of God will never ask you to violate His word. If you hear a voice in your head saying, "You know, why not steal from your employer? Why not take that thing that, that's in in the office? You know, your boss is a scoundrel. You know, he's he's um, doing he's cook, cooking the books and everything like that. He's a criminal. It's okay for you to take that. That's not the voice of God." Because the voice of God says, thou shalt not steal. Notice Jesus says, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, notice, the Father has given us to him, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. As the Bible teaches eternal security, there it is. There it is. You are eternally secure once you are in Christ. And it really is a difficult thing to see when I... There's a couple of individuals that I'm thinking of that I've encountered over the years that I think of, they're still struggling with the fact that God can forgive them. They're still kind of wrestling with that. I'm like... You know, you really need to understand that. You need to understand the truth of what the Bible says. Didn't, didn't it say in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? What part of that don't you understand? What part of that don't you believe? Why don't you want to believe that? I want to believe that. I don't want to walk around with the guilt. I don't want to walk around with the shame. Does anybody here? Raise your hand if you do. We'll, we'll get you some counseling. No, none of us do. I want to be like the child who just sits in the lap of his father and just believes what my father tells me. That's what he said. I believe it. If you're one of those people this morning that wrestles with eternal security, you need to get over it in a loving way. You need to read this and believe it. Please, set yourself free. Don't longer be shackled to your own works. Trust in his work and believe in it, and you'll be set free. Whom the Son has set free is what? He's free indeed. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And then the Jews took up stones to stone him. They knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew exactly the claim that he was making. And Jesus answered them, Many works I have shown you of my Father, for which of those do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Well, guess what? He never made himself God. He didn't. He is God. He didn't make himself God. Remember what we read in Philippians? He didn't make himself God. He is God. That's who he is. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? And this means a ruler, not literally a god like God in heaven, but it's really a, a someone in authority on the earth. He says, didn't I say in your law that you are gods? And if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken... Do you say to him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? There it is again. He's equating himself, one, with the Father. And you can look at Psalm 82, verse 6 and 7 for the reference of that. But the word means, yeah, it means Elohim, but it can also mean a judge or a ruler on the earth, and that's the context of it. He says, if if I can call the rulers gods or Elohim, and yet I come saying I am the son of Elohim, why don't you believe me? If I do not the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Look at the fruit of his life. The fruit of Jesus' life. Always in dependence, always in submission to the Father. Never doing things on his own volition. Never taking things into his own hands and saying, I'm going to do this because I just feel like it today. No, he wasn't that that, uh, happenstance. Everything that he did was ordered. Everything that he did was in submission. And that challenges me because... I need to be like that too. I need to be more prayerful about things. I need to take things before the Lord before I make big financial decisions. Before I do certain things, I better go before Him and ask His permission. Lord, is this wise? Is this good? Therefore they sought again notice to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. There was a time when he would surrender his life, but it wasn't yet. He still had work to do. Do you believe that God's in control again of what's happening today? It doesn't seem like it, but he is. In Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That's what we need to do. We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. Trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. Our understanding will lead us to a pit. It will lead us to despair. It will lead us to discouragement. It will lead us to a place where that is not good. It'll lead us to a pillbox. It'll lead us, our own understanding, will lead us into the bottom of 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 a bottle. It will lead us into the bedroom of someone that doesn't belong to us. It will lead us into despair. Our own understanding. But trust the Lord. In verse 40, he says, And he went away again into Jordan, to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. And then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about the man were true. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, the herald of Christ. He was the town crier. Before the king would come, there would be a crier that would go out before him announcing who was coming behind him, the great king of kings. And that's exactly what John the Baptist did. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He was the ambassador. He was the crier. He was the one heralding the way for Jesus, making the rough places plain. And many people believed on him there. The people believed what John the Baptist had said without any miracles. John didn't perform any miracles. And yet those in Jerusalem who had seen the miracles of Christ, they didn't even believe him. So do miracles really make, make it or not? Many people say, well, if I just saw a miracle, I'd believe in Christ. Really? Until something else changed your mind. There's something more firm than a miracle, and that's the, the witness in your heart. The Spirit of God.